Amen. Would you turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Judges, chapter 16. Judges, chapter 16. As you're turning there, we want to be mindful to remember Bob and Kay Van Flatteren, who are on their way to Haiti at this time uh, to minister there for about 10 days with the school that they were able to start years ago. We want to remember them in our prayers. Also, uh, we kicked off the Jonah Bible study this morning, had a room full of uh, folks eating up the Word of God and sharing portions of their testimony. Today, we talked about how Jonah ran. Uh, he should have just given God his yes. And we talked about times where we ran from God and how we learned to give God our yes when he had to send a whalogram after us to get our attention. So next week, Jonah prays. So if you want to come join us for Bible study at 9 o'clock, come on, there's room for you. All right, as we go to prayer for the message, I want you to pray silently for me. Before I pray for us, pray that I may have the boldness of God, the wisdom of God, to speak a word, that there won't be interference. Uh, Paul said to the church at Ephesus, after he talked to them about spiritual warfare and how to put on the armor of God, he asked them to pray for him. He said, yes, make prayers and supplications in the spirit, all kinds of requests, but he also said, church, would you pray for me that utterance may be given to me that I may boldly proclaim the gospel as I ought to. So would you pray for me now before I pray for us? Let's pray. Father, prayer reminds us that we are not capable, but you are surely capable. It reminds us when we close our eyes that there's more to this life than what we see with our eyes. We close our eyes that we may momentarily see what is unseen, for the things that are unseen are eternal. And the things that we see, Lord, they're temporary. And we know that you want us to be ruled by the invisible kingdom of God more than by the visible kingdoms of men. So we close our eyes and we open up our hearts to you and we ask you to speak to us, Lord. I'm asking that you would speak through me and in spite of me. I'm so glad that you gave us your word. And your word is relevant, practical, powerful. It's also sharp. It cuts our hearts. It judges the motives and the intents of our spirit. Speak today, Lord, in ways that I never could. And you don't even have to use my voice to do it. As the seed of the word goes forth, may our hearts be ready to receive the word. Good soil to go down deep, to produce good fruit. Lord, I pray you change someone's life today from the word of God. You set someone up today by sending them here to hear this word. May they embrace it. May I embrace it. For we ask all of this in Jesus' name, the one who gives us the victory. Amen. If you're visiting with us, we've been talking about the superabounding grace of God. To not just know about grace from a theological perspective, which is important and definitely necessary, but to know about grace from a personal and experiential standpoint. That when our mistakes and our sins abound, because they do. We have a good father 
who is rich in mercy and his grace superabounds in our lives. His goodness to us is not based upon our goodness to him. Because when we are not faithful, he remains faithful. What a good father. What a great God we serve. And his mercy and his grace towards us that he lavishes upon us is what leads us in paths of repentance and righteousness. In other words, he can be so good to you that you no longer want to do wrong. He blesses you in spite of yourself. He's a good God. And in the Bible, we see a lot of men and women who made mistakes. Men and women whose feet are made of clay, just like you and just like me, who have issues, challenges, problems, concerns. And these are people who were given commands from God, but they didn't always obey those commands. They messed up. They failed. They fell short. And so, therefore, we can read the Bible and we can identify with these folks. But not only do we see their mistakes, the purpose of this series is for us to also see God's mercy and God's grace on them to be encouraged with how gracious he is towards us so that we may share about this grace. In the book of 2 Corinthians, it talks about how the grace of God is reaching more and more people. And the grace reaches more and more people when people who've been filled with grace and understand grace and, and, and are enjoying grace share with someone who needs grace, who needs to know about the God of all grace. And we share our testimonies, which includes sharing ways and times that we messed up. Because although um, we're in church and we love God, we're far from perfect. And the mistakes we made were not all B.C. before Christ. We still make them now. And we still need grace now. So let's look at the mistake of Samson. The mistake of Samson. And in the midst of this, we're going to see the grace of God. But let's first check out this brother's mistake. Or should I say mistake? When we come to chapter 16 of the book of Judges, we find Samson blind, bound, bald, and acting like a buffoon. I said when we come to Judges 16, we, we find our hero. He's blind, he's bound, he's bald, and he's acting like a buffoon because he's been told to perform for the Philistines. And my question is, how did Samson get there? Better yet, how do we get there? People who are supposed to be making an impact on culture Culture ends up making an impact on us. People who are supposed to be leading and being the head, somehow we find ourselves as the tail. And we, the ones who have sight in Christ, now we're blind and we don't know what's going on. How did we get here? Those of us who the sun sets free are supposed to be free indeed, now we're bound by something. A besetting sin, an old habit, a bad relationship stinking thinking something's got us bound how did we get here and then we're acting like a buffoon lord what, what? well those things were written as examples for us to learn from their mistakes and to benefit from the grace of god so samson samson chapter 16 verse 28 the bible says then samson called to the lord He's blind, he's bound, he's bald. And he says, oh Lord, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Just this once, oh God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. So we start with the end of the story. Because Samson's story is a tragedy. 
And a tragedy is when we see the downfall of the main character. A tragedy is a story that deals with the tragic events of a character who should be winning, but instead is losing. And rather than ending on an up note, a tragedy ends on a down note. But because we also know about grace, you can't stay down. Because when you got grace, you can't stay down. Oh, my. So let's look at Samson. Samson's mother named him. As we're going to see, as you turn over to chapter 13, uh, we're going to see something about Samson. Samson's mother named him, which was not common in that culture for the mother to name the child. But she had an encounter, as we'll see, with the angel of the Lord because she was barren and could not have a child with her husband, Manoah. But when this child finally came, she named this child Samson. Samson in the Hebrew means sunny or sun man. Sunny, S-U-N-N-Y. Sun man, S-U-N man, sun man. Why would she name her son, 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 son? Why would she name her son, Sonny? Well, because her life had been dark up to this point. Because in that culture for a woman, much of your self-worth and even worth in the community was based upon how many children you could have. And so you were shunned by society if you were married and had not had children. And so her life was dark. She and her husband Manoah could not have children. The Bible says she was barren. But when that child came from the promise of the angel of the Lord, she said, my dark days are over now. The sun is shining, and I'm going to call this baby Sonny Samson. But not only that, for the nation. The Bible says that right before Samson was born, the nation of Israel had been oppressed for 40 years by the Philistines. So the nation, Israel, that should be the head, finds themselves being the tail because they've been disobedient to God. They've forsaken God. So God allowed them to go into these times of uh, uh, strict persecution to get their attention. And because through the book of Judges, the Bible says that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. The people of Israel would one minute be committed to God, then they would be lulled into spiritual apathy because they would be blessed. And then after being blessed and lulled into apathy, God would have to send another nation to wake them up through imprisoning them. And you see this cycle over and over and over again in the book of Judges. And we come to chapter 13 where Samson comes on the scene as the last of the judges of Israel. The judges were military leaders. They came before the king would come. So when God had led Israel out of Egypt, they were under a shepherd named Moses. Then Moses handed the baton off to Joshua. And then because they had to take the promised land by force, these military leaders rose up to lead. And at least one of them was a woman named Deborah. But there was Barak, and there was Gideon, Ehud, and this guy, Samson, Sonny, who was a judge. So the nation had been oppressed for 40 years, right before Samson was born. They were in darkness. But God says, when this boy comes, he's going to deliver the people from the Philistines. So in other words, it's going to be a lovely day. Lovely day. Lovely day, lovely day, lovely day, lovely day. Anyway, so, so son was coming. So much hope and potential was in this child. So we're going to see three things about the sun today. Oh, we're going to see, number one, the sun rises. But then sadly, we're going to see how the sun sets. But then thirdly and finally, because of grace... We're going to see how the sun 
shines again. So three things about Samson today. The sun rises, the sun sets, and the sun shines again. Let's see how the sun rises. Judges chapter 13, verse 2. Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed now, you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. So we see here Samson's special birth. Over and over again, we see this particular trial in Scripture, which was a barren wife. We saw that with Sarah. We saw that with Rebecca. We saw that with Hannah. And now we see this again with Manoah's wife, barren. And every time, God steps in and does something supernatural to help the couple to have children. And so the angel of the Lord appears to her in her pain. In her misery, she's hurting, but God shows up. And for whatever reason, for his glory, obviously, he allowed her to be barren to get her to this place where he was about to bless her exceedingly. Now, the angel of the Lord, let me just stop and pause and put a pin in this for a moment. Whenever you see the angel of the Lord in Scripture, nine times out of ten, it is a reference to the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Why do you say that? This is not talking about an angel, typical angel that God created, where he created the myriads and myriads of angels who had wings and they were ministering spirits. That's not what we're talking about here. Angel also means messenger, not just a being who served God. So the context tells me that when I see the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord says things that only God can say, and the angel of the Lord does things that only God can do. This is no ordinary angel. This is Jesus in the Old Testament. Because Jesus is the only person of the triune Godhead of Father, Son, and Spirit who takes human form. So when God takes human form in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord, speaking things that only God can speak, doing things that only God can do, that's Jesus in the Old Testament. Because Jesus didn't begin in Bethlehem with Mary. He always existed with the Father. And there would be times where God would send his son to suit up to go and talk to Abraham and say, uh, Abraham, what should we do about Sodom and Gomorrah? And Abraham would ask the Lord, uh, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Shall not the judge of the earth do right? And so Jesus spoke to Abraham. And Jesus was in the burning bush speaking to Moses. That's why uh, in the New Testament, Jesus could say things like, um, Abraham and Moses saw my day, and they rejoiced. Uh, when did Abraham see you? You're only 50 years old. Well, before Abraham was, I am. I went and spoke to Abraham in Genesis chapter 18. <laughs> because no one can look on the Father and live. So the son must come veiled in human flesh in the Old Testament or in the New Testament with promises. And he's going to say to this woman, we're going to hook you up right here in a minute. I know you've been barren, but I'm going to make a promise here and you're going to have a child. So this boy had a special birth. Look at verse 24 of chapter 13. So the woman bore a son and called his name Sonny or Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. See, when you get your baby, you forget about all that pain that you went through waiting on your baby. And I'm just not talking about baby goo goo gaga, because I got some single men and women in here who've been waiting on their baby. And you've been wondering, Lord, I see all these wonderful married couples at Strong Tower. Do you have somebody for me? Now, we're praying that God would give you your baby in due time. But you got to wait on the Lord for that baby. Don't you go pick one and try to put God's name on it. But, but anyway, that, 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 I'm going to leave that alone. The only thing that's harder than waiting on God for that baby to come 
is wishing you would have waited on God. Hang in there, hang in there, hang in there, hang in there. <laughs> Second thing we see is that Samson had a special vow, and it started with his mother. Chapter 13, verse 4 says, Now therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. This is Jesus talking to Manoah's wife. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So, so she had this special calling, not only to have this child, but there were parameters put on her, a special vow she would have to take, whereby, according to verse 4, she did not drink wine or similar drink or eat anything unclean. She would do this to prepare for the birth of this son, and then this son would have to live like that in terms of not indulging in alcohol and touching unclean things. Uh, 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 and so what this is called is a Nazarite vow, Nazarite vow. And it's found in the book of Numbers chapter 6, when there would be people who would feel like, I want to make a vow to God. I want to consecrate myself. I want to set my, myself apart. In other words, I want to fast. I want to do something to show God that, that I love you, I, I'm committed to you, and I'm willing to, to stay away from alcohol, and, and I won't touch dead bodies or be around dead things. Uh, and even with the Nazarite vow, they wouldn't cut their hair. And so this was a way of saying, I'm consecrated to God, but they would do this for a period of time. Moses had this consecration on him from the womb until his death. In other words, he was supposed to be a Nazarite for life. So he was to live a life of separation all of his life. No alcohol, no razor upon his head, no unclean food, no dead bodies. And according to Judges chapter 16, verse 17, Samson understood his calling to be set apart and clean and pure. He understood his calling, but he didn't walk in his calling. Because throughout these chapters in Judges, we see him not so much indulging in wine, but we see him at parties where there was wine. We see this man touching dead things when he rips a lion apart. Then he comes back and gets honey out of its carcass. And he definitely does not stay away from unclean women. And unclean in the sense of spiritual uncleanliness because they did not know God. They were quote-unquote pagans who were Philistine women. And so he definitely touched unclean bodies when he touched those unclean women who did not know God. But there was a special vow on his life. Another thing, as far as the sun rises, Samson had a special calling. And according to verse 5 of chapter 13, Jesus said, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come, come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So he's to be a deliverer. He's to be a leader. He's to be a judge, a military leader for Israel. There's a special calling on his life. But then we also see God gave him a special gift, though. You got to have a gift if you're going to be this kind of leader back then. And according to verse 25, what's the gift? And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahena Dan, or Camp of Dan, between Zorah and Eshtael. Pastor, what's going on? God gave him the Spirit. Because not everyone in that time had access to the presence of the Spirit. The Spirit of God was selective. He rested on certain people like prophets, priests, kings, judges. And he would only rest for a certain period of time. So they would have the Holy Spirit, but only some people got him, and only some people, when they got him, could have him for a, a, a short period of time. Why? Because his presence was conditional in the Old Testament. He would leave if you disobeyed. Like with Saul, a king, he was anointed by Samuel, but he also received God's spirit, allowing him to even prophesy at one point. But because of his disobedience to the spirit of God, 
the spirit would trouble him, and God would even send evil spirits upon Saul. And when David, who was Saul's predecessor, became king and he had fallen, his prayer in Psalm 51 was like, Lord, please don't take your spirit from me because he saw what happened to Saul. So in the Old Testament, you could lose God's spirit. Samson's going to lose God's spirit and not know he lost him. But I got good news, though. Stop, pause. Because of the finished work of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all flesh, those who trust him, your sons and your daughters, men and women, men servants and maid servants. So there's no class distinctions with God's spirit. He comes on everyone who trusts Jesus, and when he comes, he doesn't leave. Ephesians 4.30 says we're sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. So I might grieve him, but he won't leave me. That's good news. <laughs> oh, my God. So Samson had a special gift. Oh, the sun was rising in this boy's life. Spirit started staring him, but there is a point number two. And that is the sun sets. Here we go now. Here we go. Fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. Now listen, we grew up hearing Samson preached to youth groups. But Samson just ain't for teenagers. Amen lights. Amen walls. Samson is for old agers too. How do you know? Because he was able to judge Israel for 20 years. So, so he's a man. And when we get to chapter 14, many commentators think this is the last year of his life. Chapters 14, 15, and 16, he just starts going downhill with a quickness. So this is a grown man, not a teenager. This is a grown man who still wants his parents' covering. We'll talk about that in a minute. He's a grown man acting like a boy because this man is going to lay around and play around. And again, this just is not for teenagers. So old ages, don't change the station on a brother right now. Stay tuned in. Because some of y'all, some of us, may need to make some adjustments to our lifestyles and who we kick it with after digging a little bit in Samson. Don't get mad at the preacher. That's why I asked you to pray for me. <laughs> you might need to make an adjustment on who's at the house. That's not your spouse. Hang with me because the sun is about to set. Pastor, what's going on? Chapter 14, verse 1. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. He went down. So the first thing we're going to see is that Samson goes down. Down goes Samson. Down goes Samson. Down goes Frazier. Why am I focusing on that? Because from 14, 15 to 16, those chapters, went down, appears 10 times. And it's not written just because the Holy Spirit couldn't give the writer another word. No, no, no. Repetition. He went down. He went down. He went down. It's written that way for us to wake up and not go down like he went down. And to make matters worse, he really hits rock bottom when he goes into the valley of Sorek. The valley, the valley. What's in the valley? Delilah? <laughs> Y'all ain't hearing me. Y'all ain't praying for me. Homeboy going down. Because Samson has some weaknesses. He had weaknesses for foreign women. Because his parents are going to say, why can't you marry one of these good church girls? <laughs> Sam's like, I don't want one of these church girls. I want one of them girls out there. That's who I want. Man, oh man, oh man. <laughs> this stuff is real, man. He had a weakness for foreign women. <laughs> church girls were boring to Samson. 
Homeboy was lascivious. He was driven by his flesh. It says in verse 1, he saw a woman. In other words, his eyes got him in trouble. And every man in here struggles with his eyes if he can see. <laughs> Don't try to act spiritual on me. God made you this way. He made you to be aroused by sight if you're a man. Because when Adam saw Eve, he said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. When he saw her, so God has created, and that's why he, the Bible says he fashioned a woman. He sculpted a woman. Men are attracted to women, how women look. Samson saw a woman, and that woman ended up getting him in trouble. But not only was he led away by his eyes, he was led away by his hands, touching unclean things like the dead lion's carcass. He was led away by his feet because he always seemed to stay in enemy territory without going into enemy territory with the mission that God gave him, and that is to defeat the enemy. But he went into enemy territory and got defeated by the enemy time and time again. So his feet went there. But not only that, his mouth also would lead him astray because he would get into riddles and things with people, and he would play games with his mouth. And he would end up telling women that he loved them who did not love him back. And so his mouth would get him in trouble. So his eyes, his hands, his feet, his mouth, and ultimately homeboy's loins got him in trouble. Somebody's struggling today. If we're honest, it might not be our eyes, it might be our mouths. We say things we shouldn't be saying. Our hands, we're touching things we shouldn't touch. That's why Jesus came along in the New Testament and said, if your right eye offends you, plug it out. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. Now, he's not saying to literally maim yourself, but he's saying to spiritually take control over your body so that your body doesn't take control over you and cause you to be defiled. Have discipline. And if you have to be extreme and take a modern-day Nazarite vow, and I'm going to gouge my eye out by turning my cell phone off and putting it down and not touching it while I'm sitting at dinner with my children so I can be focused with them. Or I'm not getting on my computer to look at those things. Matter of fact, I'm going to have someone hold me accountable for what I look at on my computer. We have to take practical steps to be holy. Why? Proverbs 27, 20 says, the eyes of men can never be satisfied. But the game of the enemy is, he makes you think, if you look at this one, you'll be satisfied. Just look at her, you'll be satisfied. No, you won't. You're trying to fill a cup that has no bottom. And it keeps leading you to more and more and more and more. Because every woman you see that you just think, oh, she's the most beautiful woman. Whoop, there's another one right over there that looks just as good as this one. And God is saying, I don't want you like the world, controlled by the lust of the eyes. You're a man of God. Man, keep your eyes on the Lord. I will look up to the hills from which coming my help. My help, I don't see her. My help comes from the Lord. <laughs> one of our elders said, and I won't say which one, he said, you know, God gives you the first look. He gives you the first look, but then don't take the second one. I, I, I won't tell you which elder said that, but he was the one that made a documentary with ESPN, and he, he ain't here this morning. <laughs> oh, man. He has some weaknesses. Look at chapter 16, verse 15. Look at chapter 16, verse 15. Then she said, which is Delilah, she said to him, y'all, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death that he told her all his heart. And said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. 
If I'm shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. So he had a weakness for women. Now, one thing we got to be careful about is who you tell your innermost secrets to. Because if you tell them to a harlot, she's going to reduce you to a piece of bread. And what you tell her in secrecy and you all broken and humble, she's taking notes because she's going to use that against you at a future date and time. <laughs> oh, boy. You can't make this stuff up. This is all going to lead to Samson's capture as the sun sets. Look at verse 21 of chapter 16. The Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. So he's playing this game with Delilah. Where's your strength? Where's your strength? Well, if you tie me up with cords, I'll be like any other man. She tie him up. Samson, the Philistines are here. He break the bonds. They did this back and forth. He didn't take seriously his calling because he kept playing with his calling. But that third time, after she pestered him and nagged him, he's like, okay, okay. If you cut my seven dreads off, because the Bible says he has seven locks. Rastafarian, man, Rastafarian, he had seven locks, man. And peep this, they had not been cut since homeboy was born. So now, the Bible doesn't say he was a muscle man. You know, he could have been a regular looking dude, but he had seven braids. And he told sister girl, Delilah, if you cut my hair, and she saw, he told me everything this time. So she called the Philistine lords, because watch this, watch this. When you hook up with somebody, you hook up with their people. <laughs> when you marry somebody, you marry their family. If they got crazy folk in their family, chances are she crazy. <laughs> so you got to interview the family because that's what you're going to be married to. And she had some killers waiting outside the room. Lulls him to sleep on her knees. Samson, what's your problem, man? I think he did not really want the weight of the responsibility of being a leader anymore. He was just tired, and he was like, okay, I yield. I give in to this moment of lunacy. Because when your flesh is leading you, your mind goes from you. He's like, okay, whatever. So this time, some, she puts him to sleep. A dude comes in, cuts his hair. Then she says to him, Samson, the Philistines are here. I got to read verse 20. It won't be on the screen. Verse 20 of chapter 16 says, and she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. So he was weak. When he got up and he didn't know the spirit left him because, again, the spirit's presence was conditional upon one's obedience. His anointing with God was in his obedience to keep his hair from being cut. When he had his hair cut in the wrong barber shop, he lost everything. <laughs> He's been captured. They take him down to Gaza. You see that? down to Gaza. And the enemy that he should have defeated, they have now defeated him. And he's walking around grinding. Or in other words, you know, pushing materials that grinds wheat. And then they're going to tell him, bring Samson out to perform for us. The one who defeated some of our men. We've defeated him now. Bring him out. How can a blind, bald, bound man perform for folk? Guess he just, you know, it came down to that. So now we see the third and final point. The sun is going to shine again. So the sun rose, the sun set, 
because he made some bad choices. But here's grace. Here's, I need to see some grace. I'm so glad the story doesn't end here. There's grace here because in verse 22, verse 22, after it says they bound him in verse 21, and he became a grinder in the prison. Verse 22, however, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. However, however can be synonymous with grace. When you see a however, you're seeing grace in action. You messed up, Samson. You made bad decisions. You were led by your flesh. You forsook your calling. You're blind, bound, bald, and acting like a buffoon. However, your sin is abounding, but grace is about to superabound. You don't deserve it, but I know you need it. You can't earn it. All you can do is receive it. That's grace. I can't earn it. I can only receive it and thank God for it. However, you've been through bankruptcy. However, you went through a divorce. However, grandmother died. However, because when stuff starts growing again, that's grace in action. The human hair grows at 0.5 inches or centimeters, rather, per month. And so 0.5 per month. So we have this man. Oh, oh, let me say it this way. Let me say it this way. Human hair grows at a rate of 0.5 inches per month or 6 inches per year. Samson didn't have 0.5 inches of hair on his head here. All he had was fuzz. Because God don't need 0.5 inches to bring grace into your life. All he needed is some fuzz. Because the enemy, they thought they had him, but the enemy is stupid. Somebody should have been watching his hair and keeping that hair gone. But the enemy fell asleep on the job and homeboy started getting some fuzz. And when the fuzz came up, the Holy Spirit came back. Somebody need to put that on Twitter. <laughs> When the fuzz came up, the Holy Ghost came back and gave him power. And so he prays because he understands. He can feel his help coming. He, he can feel, oh, wait a minute. That fuzz started coming up? He could feel the anointing of God coming back in his life. So that's why he prays in verse 28. Oh, Lord, remember me. I pray. Strengthen me. I pray just this once, O oh God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. Because he asked the little boy, put me between the two pillars. I can't see, but I can feel them. Put me there. And he says, God, would you help me? Now, Strong Tower need to let you know something. Strong, uh, the Bible records Samson praying twice. And both times he prayed, he was in trouble. If the only time you pray is when you're in trouble, that may explain why you stay in trouble. <laughs> Lord, help us. <laughs> oh, boy. But the, here's grace. Even though that may be the only time we talk to God, he still listens. He won't be like some of us when we call folk and they see our number and they don't answer. Ah, that's Pastor Chris. What do you want? God is like, oh, no, I will answer your call. So he prays and he is able with the strength of God to knock down the pillars and all of the Philistines who were sitting in the balcony, sitting in the balcony, 3,000 of them fell to their death. And at the end of his life, he ended up defeating more Philistines than he had done his entire life. But it cost him. He died early. He died young. He died in his prime. He didn't, ha he didn't have to go out that way. But God's grace was still there. Pastor, how do you know God's grace was there? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. As I close, it's called the Hall of Faith. 
It talks about men and women in the Old Testament who had great faith, and by it they were able to overcome and even subdue nations because without faith it's impossible to please God. And guess who is in the hall of faith? A man who slept with harlots, a man who got married to a woman who was a Philistine, a man who fooled with a woman named Delilah, a man who broke his Nazarite vow in every turn because grace covered his sin. Hebrews 11.32, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak. That's not Obama. That's the, another dude in the Old Testament. <laughs> and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. Wait a minute. A man who went down, down. He's on the level of David and Gideon and Samuel? Yeah. You know why? Because no one in the hall of faith deserves to be in the hall of faith. Because everybody in the hall of faith messed up. Don't shout too quick that you're next to David. You know he is a murderer and an adulterer. <laughs> Don't shout too quick to be next to Gideon. You know what kind of man he was as an idolater and had a bunch of wives. Nobody deserves to be up there. But that's why grace is so amazing, and there should be no other word for it. I just stopped by here to encourage somebody. Man, listen to God. Because if you keep living this way where your flesh is controlling you and you're making bad decisions when you know better, as Elder Sherman once said, even with his situation, yeah, it came out. It's a beautiful story that the young man that I coached ended up later finding out that he was my son. But he would say, you don't want to do what I did because that doesn't mean you're going to get what happened to me. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's a pretty story at the end, but it don't always work out like that. And we still got to get adjusted to this. So take from this story of this man's life what you need. For some of you, it may be, to listen to your parents. Because had Samson listened to his parents and got a good, clean church girl. Where the clean girls at? Well, they at church. That's where the good, clean girls at. Had he gotten one of them, he could have had a whole different story. So listen to your parents. But parents, let me say this to you too as I close. Sometimes we know we have children who have special gifts. And just because your child has special gifts doesn't mean that you have lost your responsibility to raise them. Because when Samson said, I want this Philistine woman, and his parents said, can't you have another girl from your own tribe? He said, I want her. Get her for me. And then the parents submitted to the child and went and got the Philistine woman. So just because your kid got gifts don't mean you can't spank that behind sometime. I had to say that for somebody in here. Don't forget you the parent. Yeah, they sing well, dance well, and all that stuff. Can throw a football, can shoot a basketball. They're good at math. They can remember stuff. They read books at the age of 10 that you haven't read your whole life. Okay, they got gifts, but you still the parent. I, that was for free. I put that in there for free. Somebody need to hear that. Let's stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Oh, man. He's got grace for us. Some of you have been falling down, going down. I hope that you hit rock bottom real soon. I really do. I, I hope you'll be miserable in your sin. I hope you hit the bottom to realize that Christ is the rock at the bottom and you will change your life. If, if you're tripping, if you're fornicating, and if you're adulterating, whatever, if I pray, you will be miserable in the name of Jesus. If you've been seeing a prostitute, I pray that you are miserable. I pray that you will stop. If you got somebody living at home that shouldn't be at your house, you're trying to play married and you're not married, I pray you get that thing right. Stop playing with sin where sin becomes normal. 
Father God, thank you for this opportunity to talk about this man's mistakes. Wow, Lord, you put him on blast so that we can learn. Lord, I would imagine just about every adult in this room, we've made some mistakes and decisions that we are not proud of and we wish we had. But we also know, Lord God, because of our failures, you were able to experience grace. You didn't want us to fail to experience grace, but knowing that we will fail, failure runs us right into grace. And grace changes us. I'm so glad, Lord, that we've been changed. Thank you, Lord, that we've learned from our mistakes. Those of us who've abused alcohol, we've learned by the grace of God from our mistakes. You let us live. How did we get home after that night of drinking? We can testify of your grace. How did we do all of that fornicating out there and not walk away with a disease? It's because of your grace. Help us, Lord, to teach others when it's proper to share portions of our testimony about things we touched that we didn't have no business touching. People we talked to, we didn't have no business talking to. Lord, just show us so that folk in the church and especially those out of the church will recognize we haven't been holy our whole life. And we still wrestle, even as Christians. We humble ourselves. We thank you that my man was written in the hall of faith. We thank you that we're seated in heavenly places right now, not because of works of righteousness that we've done, but because of your mercy. May we not forget that. May we not think it's about our goodness. Thank you for saving us by grace through faith, apart from works. And thank you, Lord, that a saving faith is going to have some works. Lead each person, guide each one. Thank you for this time today. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or imagine. And it's according to the power that is operating and working within us. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. And all of the victorious ones said, amen, amen. You got to hug some folk, got to hug somebody.